You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back on the Oz Network to a new year, 2018. And uh, as we finished off last year with a Oscar bait season review, as I've been calling it, uh, we're kicking off 2018 with an Oscar bait review. Uh, Solo again, uh, my name is Colin, and I can confirm fourth place in the Olympics is the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. Uh, We're here to talk about somebody who didn't even make it to fourth place in the Olympics, and that's Molly Bloom, uh, a real-life figure that very few people, I guess, are familiar with, or at least in comparison to Winston Churchill, who I talked about yesterday uh, with Darkest Hour. But uh, Molly Bloom, who's a real-life figure and wrote a book, uh, about her life and her experiences, uh, I guess with all this underground poker stuff, has just been turned to a movie, Molly's Game, which is what I'm here to talk about today. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, a big deal, as I mentioned at the end of yesterday, uh, because it's the directorial debut of Aaron Sorkin, who's probably one of the most famous screenwriters or you know, even television writers in the world. And here he is making his directorial debut in a script that he still wrote. Um, it has... Uh, I'm not going to say a huge cast. I mean, there's a lot of actors in this, but I guess a few big stars. Jessica Chastain starring as Molly Bloom. Uh, Idris Elba as her lawyer. Kevin Costner as her dad. Those are kind of the three main ones. And uh, Michael Sarah in there as... Uh, is he Michael Sarah? Is he Tobey Maguire? Who knows? <laughs> but Michael Sarah as a real-life celebrity. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about Michael Sarah here. I, we, I will do Michael Sarah month. We'll keep, we keep planning these months on the Oz Network. I'm going to propose a Jessica Chastain month and a Michael Sarah month. Uh, that's all I really want to talk about with this movie. But let's get into it. Molly's Game, this movie, uh, I don't know if it came out in limited release. I think it did like a week or two ago, but just came out in wide, wide release on Christmas Day. Um, I did mention on Christmas Day I went to Darkest Hour because I wanted to see that a little bit more. Um, it also was shorter. Uh, I'm going to have some praise for this movie about how long it is, also some criticism about how long it is. But I uh, saw this movie uh, just on Friday night here, so the 29th, a couple of days ago. And uh, it's a movie I was really excited about. I knew nothing about this movie going in. I knew nothing about the real Molly Bloom. Uh, I knew a little bit about the uh, real Tobey Maguire, which we'll talk a little bit about Tobey Maguire here and what his connection might be. But uh, I don't even remember hearing about Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. And if I did, I kind of just forgot about it. And I remember seeing the trailer for this uh, back during the summer. And it may have even been the early fall. And like immediately just turning to Jamie in the theater being, oh, I have to see that movie. And she's like, eh, looks okay. Which is why I'm doing this solo today. Because uh, Jamie had zero interest in seeing this movie. And um, I don't know, for, for me, I already said I'm a huge Jessica Chastain fan. How big of a Jessica Chastain fan I am, I don't even know if I can explain on here. I'm basically compared, if you listened to yesterday's episode on The Darkest Hour, compared to where Gary Oldman is for me. I mean, there is nothing this woman can do that's wrong. Uh, and every movie she's in, I'm just completely blown away by her. Zero Dark Thirty is obviously my favorite, but like Take Shelter uh, right up there for me as well. Um, even The Help. I mean, I couldn't stand The Help, but even The Help, I thought she was great. And uh, I guess the the big disappointment you know was last year her oscar bait movie miss sloan kind of a bit of a misfire but uh there's some interesting comparisons between these two movies here that i'll have but um this is i guess her big movie of the year and it is 100 her movie and just like i mentioned with the darkest hour yesterday you know was 100 gary oldman this movie's 100 jessica chastain uh, it's called molly's game and idris elba who probably has the second most amount of screen time really just sort of pops in and out of the movie for the most part. It has a bigger presence on the end, but for the most part, doesn't have a lot to do in this. Uh, and I always have to give a lot of credit to the actors who can carry a movie. And 
Uh, I'll be talking a little bit later on about how the Oscars work, because I'm calling this Oscar bait season. And too often, I think actors will get nominated or win for terrible movies. And I feel like if you give a good performance or the movie's awful, then it still failed. I mean, that's kind of like nominating somebody for a best screenplay for a movie that the director butchered the screenplay of. And I guess a good comparison to that would be for um, the, what was it, Stanley Tucci, when he got nominated for Peter Jackson's movie, The Lovely Bones, which was just a terrible movie and nobody loved anything about it. And yeah, Stanley Tucci was great in the movie, but he brought nothing outside of his own scenes. So I'm personally of the opinion that unless you improved the movie or, or made the movie worth it on its own, you probably shouldn't just be handing out uh, nominations. That's my complaint about acting nominations. But this is one where when an actor is 100% the movie and it's all on them and they make it work, even if it doesn't work you know, to a Lawrence of Arabia or Godfather level, uh, I think you deserve a lot of credit for that. So whereas I kind of ended the last episode saying, should Gary Oldman get the Oscar this year? I'm, I'm just going to say Jessica Chastain could do nothing at all in a movie. Uh, what was that one she did with... Uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, the um, sequel to the Snow White one, The Huntsman. Um, I haven't even seen that movie, but I guarantee I probably walk away from that saying that she should get a Best Actress nomination. Uh, I did walk away from the Guillermo del Toro movie she did, uh, which I can't remember the name of it now, that kind of haunted house movie that was out last year, saying like, Jessica Chastain, Chastain should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And I mean, it was such an over-the-top performance, but that's kind of where she is for me. Um, having said that, for a movie that is 100% her and she does carry this movie so well, I didn't find myself as wowed by her as I did another actor in this movie, and that's Idris Elba. And uh, I'm not one of these people who's like the biggest Idris Elba fan in the world, but I'm also, I guess, a bigger Idris Elba fan than most people are who aren't as familiar with him are. Uh, I was a fan of his TV show Luther that he did, uh, and I really like him in the types of movies where he's playing the sleazier characters, uh, like in Prometheus or uh, American Gangster or Takers. Uh, I loved him playing. He's usually the type who'd be playing one of Molly Bloom's associates and not playing the the really uh, goody-two-shoes lawyer who, in this movie, he's playing Molly Bloom's lawyer. And he even says himself, that it's like, I'm the one who's not going to do anything wrong. I'm like the, the, the clean-cut Boy Scout lawyer. Uh, really, this movie is mostly about Molly, but I feel like he gets kind of the strongest scenes in it. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Idris Elba later on, but and just how great he is in this movie. But just as a setup for anybody who's not familiar with uh, the story or hasn't seen the trailers, uh, again, based on a true story, I did some research on it, but I haven't read the book or anything, but Molly Bloom was an Olympic level skier. You know, her brother actually went on to the Olympics, um, Jeremy Bloom, and even played, I think, for the Philadelphia Eagles later on. But like, this family of just prodigies. And uh, she was at one point ranked, I guess, third in the, I think they were saying third in the United States or fourth in the United States. But the movie kind of opens with her uh, in the Olympic trials for the Salt Lake City Olympics and really showing what went wrong with her skiing career. She was a mogul skier, which I, if, I don't think we've ever talked about it on the Oz Network, but if you listen to Off the Podium, uh, available via iTunes, uh, moguls is like my favorite sport, even over hockey, football, anything. Uh, if I had the choice to go to the Super Bowl or go to one of the one of the many World Cup moguls events, it would be the World Cup moguls event for me. So that was kind of exciting for me, just watching you know the mogul stuff early in the movie. Um, the just the story is everybody's going to be familiar with this is spoiler free, but this isn't really a spoiler. She misses out on the Olympics and her life takes a different course. And 
a lot of this movie is just about you know whether or not she's going to go to law school uh and she keeps putting off law school every year it's kind of a, a funny ongoing joke in here is that i'll put off law school for one more year and um what ends up happening is that she ends up just inadvertently hooking up with this guy who works out of los angeles and they don't really say what he is and they don't identify him there's a lot of this movie's about not identifying the real people and uh he gives her this job which eventually leads to i guess him being uh, her being his assistant and then her running this underground poker game that he has which is frequented by celebrities which the main one is michael Sarah, who i saw the trailers and expected a cameo from him maybe playing michael Sarah. Uh, he's actually called Player X in this movie, and I don't know if he's so much uh, one celebrity that was real, but an amalgamation of several celebrities that the real Molly Bloom encountered. Uh, really kind of a despicable character, but like weirdly charismatic. And just Michael Sarah, I am probably the biggest Scott Pilgrim fan in the world. Uh, it's outside of Star Wars. I mean, Scott Pilgrim, Star Wars, Superman, and Scott Pilgrim. Those are like the big things for me. Uh, I know it's a big cult movie or whatever, but Michael Cera really came out of Arrested Development and everything and then did Scott Pilgrim. I mean, he's not like A-list anymore, but he, I think he's recognizable enough that it, it kind of gets a bit of a laugh when you see it pop up. It's like, oh, the big movie star. And then Michael Cera walks in, you know, kind of uh, uh, with a bit of a swagger and everything. And it's it's really funny, but he actually plays kind of a sinister character in this movie in, in a weird charismatic way and he has a big presence for i'd say the first half of this movie and then not as much after that they kind of refer to him every once in a while uh but he's a very important figure just in the story and uh i've dro- dropped a couple of things about tomu Maguire already but i guess whereas this movie says a lot about molly bloom not identifying you know these people these powerful people she encountered apparently in her book she really did identify and a lot of this character was tomu Maguire, who was apparently even meaner than the way Michael Sarah is portrayed in here, and even you know more of a, a card shark, uh, poker shark than uh, anybody's aware of. You know how much of that is true, or how much maybe she combined? Because she mentions a few other celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio in there as well. Um, who knows? But this Player X character is hilarious. But it also prevents the first um, or presents the first issue with this movie, which is that the entire movie is focused on not identifying these powerful people, which in a way doesn't work at the end of the movie, even just in the movie, but works even less when you realize she named like tons of names. And I'm sure there's a ton of names or powerful politicians and everything that uh, she encountered over her years where she didn't give up the details on, but she wrote a book and identified characters that in this movie, she's saying, I will not identify who it is. Um, and, and it was kind of an interesting idea when the movie starts, but as the movie progresses and it becomes more and more focused on, I can't name names. And you're thinking to yourself, there's not even any logic to this. So I have some issues with that. Uh, I'll talk about when we get closer to the end of the movie, but movies kind of split up uh, into three stories. Your A story, which is really following her life and career of running these poker games and you know how powerful she became and uh, how much manipulation is going on. If people say, I don't care for like, you know, gambling or stuff like that, I'm not a big fan. I don't even think I play, I know how to play any card games, but uh, I do love movies like this. Like Rounders is one that I compare a little bit to this or uh, 21 was another one. Um, this movie's different in that it's not so much about the card game itself or the odds of winning there's a little bit here and there this is more about why are these people playing and there's a lot of these powerful characters that sort of pop in and out of the movie we basically have those three leads that are all told in the different time periods we have the jessica chastain 
Molly Bloom character, the lawyer, Idris Elba, and then Molly's dad, Kevin Costner, who's kind of in the C story in this. But a lot of these small characters that pop in and out uh, is mostly told in that following her throughout her life. So we're going through maybe about 10, 12 year period here from when she basically starts as, you know, a waitress going all the way up to being like this woman who's making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a night uh, somehow. And that story is, I think, the most interesting, but also the one that drags on the most. And uh, I do love that it deals a lot with, you know, what these poker players are there for. There's one guy in particular who they identify as, they actually call him Bad Brad because he's apparently just like the world's worst player. He never wins. And that's sort of his gimmick. But then there's little subtle things in the movie where you realize oh, he's not actually playing to win. It, that's what a lot of this movie is. Is it, It's about power. How do you get in a room with people where you can make connections or even business connections outside of this? So that I did like that this wasn't just two hours and 20 minutes. And it is a long two hours and 20 minutes uh, of gambling stuff. The gambling is really taking a backseat to, uh, I guess, the, the political maneuvering here. And uh, even the fact they don't identify these characters. Like a lot of these major characters that come in, they never say who they are. And you have to kind of do your research to realize who was Bad Brad based on, who was this Harlan guy based on, who was Player X based on. Uh, but again, she names names. And that becomes, I guess, the main focus of the third act. But the third act really... This movie could have been told chronologically, but it wasn't. And that's one thing I did feel I liked about the movie. And I complain about this in the darkest hour when you get these biopics that just follow somebody throughout 20 years. It's just too much. I already said how much I love Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. Funny enough, even though Zero Dark Thirty is probably one of the best movies I've seen you know, in the last decade. Um, and I would go as far to say you know, her performance in Zero Dark Thirty might rank in my top 10 acting performances of all time. Like any actor, anytime, anywhere. But the first time I saw that movie, I didn't like how it was told over such a long period of time because they kept identifying the year. They would say, uh, it is now June 2008. And now it's, you know, October 2000. And I felt, I don't like when movies just go through a long period of time and you're constantly reminded how long it is because it almost feels like the story doesn't focus on anything. This does it differently and that is not chronological. You have the majority of the story that's being told uh, in that time period where she has her career running these poker games. But that's not what the, that story is being told by her in the future as she's about to stand trial. She's been arrested by the FBI and all that. And this is the thing that's, you know, um, the movie kind of starts out with is she's arrested and she gets this lawyer, Idris Elba, and then she's kind of telling her story uh, backwards in a way. And sometimes it's, you know, this is what happened in the beginning. Then it's this what happened a little bit later. It's not so confusing that you feel like you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie, uh, but you know, it, it's, it helps the movie to jump back and forth in these stories. Because in the third part of it is what was her life like growing up with Kevin Costner? And Kevin Costner, with the exception of, I think, one or two scenes, uh, is all in the flashbacks with young Molly growing up as a child, as a teenager. And that's not really, you would say it's not really important to the story. I also found it to be something that, that hurt the movie a little on the end, which might make more sense in a few minutes when I talk about uh, how this movie ends. But... Um, the background stuff, it's more meant to show she had this tough upbringing, not tough as in this hard life, but her dad was kind of a drill instructor. And I think it was important to cast a guy like Kevin Costner for this because here in Canada, we would call it like a hockey parent, you know, a hockey dad or a hockey mom. It's just, you know, uh, driving the kid to their death for their success. You know, maybe another person world would be a soccer uh, parent or a football parent, baseball parent, whatever, like a sports parent. And that's what he was. He was just driving her so hard and she had this terrible relationship. And they keep flashing back to that. That's kind of giving context 
more, not so much for her character, but more for what the movie's going to show you later on with her. Um, but Kevin Costner has a way of not making him a hateable character. And that's important in this movie because even though Molly doesn't get along with her dad, she's almost in ways defending her dad throughout the movie. And if you didn't have Kevin Costner, a guy who as despicable as some of the things he does in this movie are, you never dislike the guy, it wouldn't work. Um, and I'm a huge Kevin Costner fan. And uh, I, I think pretty much anything he's in, he just plays Kevin Costner, but he does it so well. And they basically cast him as mean Kevin Costner here. Uh, and Kevin Costner is amazing and everything. But uh, going back to those three stories, the majority of the movie is following her career over those long periods. But every time it cuts back to the future where it's just her meeting with her lawyer, that's the stuff I'm actually the most interested in. And that has more to do with Idris Elba than anything else. As I said, I liked him in Luther. I liked him in, you know, American Gangster Takers and uh, Prometheus and everything. But this movie, this is his star-making performance. And he came out of The Dark Tower, which Ben and I did a review for earlier this year, which was really awful and probably meant to be his star-making performance. I mean, you could say... Uh, Pacific Rim, he had a major role in it, but Pacific Rim was never built around Idris Elba as a star. You know, Star Trek Beyond, he was playing a major villain, but he's covered in makeup. You can't tell. Uh, this is like Idris Elba's <laughs> uh, Casino Royale. <laughs> Some James Bond comparisons there. You can hear more of our feelings on Idris Elba being too old to play Bond, uh, but um, that's on a different show. Idris Elba makes himself a star in this movie and he distracts me from Jessica Chastain, which takes a lot to do. So I give total credit to Idris Elba for, in a way, making this movie for me. Uh, because every time he's on screen, I'm just, I'm glued to everything he's saying. And also I should mention, uh, talk a bit about Aaron Sorkin here. The dialogue in this movie is exactly what we expect from Aaron Sorkin. If you've ever seen any of his TV shows, Sports Night, The West Wing, uh, Studio 60, blah, 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 whatever it was, uh, or even his movies like The Social Network, A Few Good Men, uh, American President. I mean, he is known for his dialogue and he's known, I guess you consider him like the clean, sophisticated Quentin Tarantino. Like he just, he writes the type of lines that you don't hear anywhere else. And his dialogue is just so originally unique. But in this movie, it almost feels like you have two movies, not just from the different time periods, but you have enough material, enough dialogue here to fill two movies worth. And everybody's basically talking nonstop this entire movie. Uh, and sometimes that could become too much. I talked about in The Darkest Hour yesterday how uh, things like the way the scenes were shot and the music would distract you from the fact that you're just in a small room with two people talking. There's little physicality things that Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba do in their scenes together here, especially in the early scenes before you're really sold on these characters. Like Jessica Chastain has a moment where she just awkwardly drags a chair halfway across a room after you know, basically saying, I, I can't talk to you when you're this far away. And then there's a great scene where, you know, they're in a courthouse the first time. And there's just this, this little thing that Idris Elba does with the physicality where he keeps changing seats back and forth. And you really have to see it to get, like, how much something like that matters in the movie. And that's why for Aaron Sorkin, who wrote this script where it's like, it's so much talking and it's great to listen to. But every once in a while, you need something visual to stimulate you. And that's where I, I love what he did as a director in this. Nothing he did in this movie is so unique where I walked away from this feeling like this is the next Danny Boyle or uh, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino would be another uh, uh, explanation of that, but a director who just does something so unique where you're like, wow, they have their own style. This is a very generic, commercial-looking movie, but he does smart things in this movie that a screenwriter wouldn't know naturally, 
that even a first-time director would know naturally. He just gets the little physicality things that make this movie work. There are moments where I feel like this movie is maybe a little bit too commercial, and that's why if we're talking about this Oscar bait season here, Molly's Game is obviously meant to be big Oscar bait. You don't attach Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, and Aaron Sorkin if you don't hope to get some type of nominations. But it's almost a little bit too generic and cookie cutter and commercial. And in a way, that's a good thing. Like It's funny, a lot of the complaints I'm going to have about this movie are also compliments I'll have because this movie is a blast. And I've been seeing a lot of movies as I'm on a bit of a break from school right now and also with Christmas and New Year's, I get extra days off from work. So I, I live two blocks from a movie theater and I'm going you know, every Friday, every Saturday. I'm going at least twice a week right now, uh, maybe even three times a week just because I'm like, well, I got nothing to do. But because we have a baby, which you often hear crying in the background and we just missed out on hearing him cry, probably will still cry by the end of this episode. Um, once he goes to bed, that's when I can go and see a movie or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's only a short walk, but usually the movies start like the second showings are after he goes to bed, like 10 o'clock. And so I've been going to like Star Wars at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, not the first time I saw Star Wars, but like the second, third time I saw Star Wars and then even Darkest Hour uh, the last night. I'm seeing these movies at 10 o'clock at night and I'm exhausted because the other thing I have to say is aside from raising a baby, you know, I'm doing work and school uh, full time and doing this podcast. And basically I wake up at 5, 530 in the morning every single day. And that means I'm in bed like 10 o'clock every night. So I've been seeing it. When I saw The Darkest Hour, there were a few parts where I was really struggling to stay awake. And this movie was even later, and it was a two and a half hour long movie, and I was even more tired before I went in. And I was convinced I would have a hard time staying awake. Uh, I was wide awake this whole movie because the movie is just so fast and so energetic and fun that it, it just it perked me up. And that's something that nothing else has done lately. But it also had that fun energeticness. It, it while they're trying to make this an entertaining movie, sometimes that can take away from it being a really great, creative, original, unique movie. And that's probably the only complaint I would have is to say, uh, again, I'll jump a bit ahead. Uh, on The Darkest Hour, I kind of waited for the end to say, should this get you know a nomination for whatever? Should Molly's Game get a Best Picture nomination? No. Um, and I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a blast. I wouldn't complain if I saw it again. But uh, if this gets nominated for Best Picture... <sighs> kind of different from The Darkest Hour, whereas The Darkest Hour, I said, yeah, if it doesn't get nominated for Best Picture, I'm not going to cry about it. Um, but if it does, I'll be happy. This is more like, if it gets nominated, you know, good for the movie, it's probably a weak year. Uh, if it doesn't get nominated, I'll have no complaint because I don't think this is really a Best Picture-worthy movie. Uh, some of the problems that come on the end is that I, I honestly don't know how much of what we see in the final act is real. I know some of the the stories about you know how this lawsuit ended up with her or this trial ended up with her, how the situation with some of the other people involved ended up. You can find that information online, but some of the other things about how it transpired and the, the interactions they have, you know, between her, her lawyer, her dad and all that, and you know, the FBI, it just feels far fetched on the end. And I feel like it, I'm not going to say it jumps the shark, but it goes from being a very believable movie from start to finish to near the end being, this is entertaining, but I really don't, I question how realistic this is. And every single moment may have very well happened, but then that's the fault of Aaron Sorkin for kind of uh, commercializing and, and sugaring up the end of this movie, uh, maybe making it a little bit too dramatic, a little bit too over the top, 
where you just don't buy it as an audience member the same way as you bought a lot of the other stuff early on. And some of the stuff you see in this movie is crazy, and that definitely helps you. The other movie I would compare this to would be The Wolf of Wall Street. This movie has no similarities to The Wolf of Wall Street other than the fact that it's about a real-life person who built an empire for themselves by doing kind of shady things. And that's sort of where it ends. I'll also say I hate The Wolf of Wall Street. I despise The Wolf of Wall Street as a movie. I feel like if The Wolf of Wall Street had been directed by anybody else, or even, let's say, you have the exact same movie, but you don't have Martin Scorsese's name on there, and you have an actor delivering the exact same performance, but they are not Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't think anybody likes that movie. Uh, I feel like there's a bias towards Scorsese and DiCaprio with that. Uh, And the movie itself is just terrible, in my opinion. This movie's not terrible, but it, it has a lot of those similarities where it's, you're following this life, this career, and then every once in a while you just get a scene that's just shocking. You're like, how does something like that actually happen? People like this exist. But there are also other moments when it's telling that middle story about you know her career and how everything goes on where I'm feeling like I've seen enough of this already. And that's where the two-hour, 20-minute running time maybe is a bit too much. Uh, I think you could have cut at least 10 minutes out of this movie, and it would have been slightly more enjoyable and probably a better movie for it because some of these minor characters you get introduced to in the middle a lot of these card players she interacts with a lot of her associates they get almost too much screen time and too many scenes where you're like i got the point the first time around and it just becomes repetitive with some of these not every scene is really something fresh and new uh and this movie could definitely use an editor but still as i said an enjoyable movie and in comparison to miss sloan uh, which was Jessica Chastain's Oscar bait movie last year, where I walked away from that movie actually feeling like, you know, Jessica Chastain was amazing in it, and the ending was fantastic, but, you know, the movie itself kind of dragged up until then. There was also that implausibility with Miss Sloan on a little bit of the ending that, uh, you know, I wasn't quite buying everything. So I guess there's another one. There's a lot of similarities to even Miss Sloan last year, and the type of character that Jessica Chastain's playing, which it's funny, I've heard a lot of people refer to this movie as like a feminist movie, which it really isn't. I mean, you could have literally told this exact same story and had it be, uh, you know, uh, Mike's game and you made it a male character and there's no difference. Like you you change a few things. Obviously, you know, Mike is not going to be showing his boobs as much as Jessica Chastain is in this movie. And uh, there's not going to be the same type of characters hitting on uh, him as there would be hitting on her. But the movie itself doesn't change. And that's what I liked about this movie. So it's almost strange to me when I'm seeing people review this saying like it's a very feminist movie and it's about you know a woman and uh, dealing with men and everything. The movie itself kind of makes a point of that on the end. And even she sort of just laughs it off in the movie because that's not what it's about. So I feel like this has been a misinterpreted movie. It's just kind of a fun story. And what makes it work is that Jessica Chastain and Miss Sloan or Molly's Gamer Zero Dark Thirty, she just plays a character that's it's almost gendered... There's nothing gender neutral about Jessica Chastain in this movie as far as her appearance goes. Um, But as far as the way she plays these characters, you could write these characters and play it as a man or woman and barely have to change anything. Uh, And so I love that about what she does in these movies. But not everything works with the movie itself. And as big of a fan as I am of just, it almost, I feel like I'm talking down about her performance in this movie. Not in any way talking down Jessica Chastain's performance Uh, performance in this movie but just Idris Elba steals every scene he's in so much that they have enough scenes together where I feel like she does stand in the background a little bit Um, but again that's no uh, knock against her it's just to say how good he is 
in this movie as well. As Kevin Costner, as I said, there's one really good scene, even if it starts to become a little bit implausible near the end that he has. But uh, you know, overall, Aaron Sorkin for a directorial debut, I mean, he did some really original things with this. It's a flawed movie because it is a bit too long. Uh, some of the scenes are repetitive and maybe it becomes a little bit too generic and Hollywoody on the end. Uh, but um, overall, I mean, I think he did something unique with this and unique enough that I'd be interested to see what he did with his next movie. Uh, is this on the level with some of the other movies that he's written for other people, but not actually done the directing on like the social network would be a big one. Uh, a few good men, obviously no, no. I mean, those are stronger movies. You know, Moneyball is a stronger movie than this, but it's, it's good enough that it has me interested to see what he would do next as a director. Still, his strength is in writing, but you know, obviously he made a good impression on this movie. Um, so going to the review, uh, um, it's weird because I probably enjoyed watching this. Like I was more attentive to this than I was the darkest hour. Uh, and I probably have fewer complaints with it than I do the last Jedi, but, uh, I don't necessarily know if I would buy this movie. Uh, just that when this finished and I walked out of it, I sort of thought to myself, you know, this is a fun movie. If I never see this movie again, I don't feel I'll be at a loss. Uh, But if it were ever on TV, I'd definitely check it out. I don't feel like this is something I would ever go out of my way to see a second time intentionally, uh, but I wouldn't complain if I did. This would definitely be a rent it. It would be a very strong rent it though. Um, In the right circumstances, you know, if uh, I saw this in a bargain bin, I might pick it up. Um, I feel like that almost sounds wrong. Like, oh, this is a bargain bin movie. But you know, you're saying how much money would you waste on this? Like, you know, buying something to bargain bin is the same as renting it. So in that sense, I'm kind of on the fence. But I would give this a very strong rent it. Uh, it's definitely worth it for the performances. And as I said, I'm not a fan of movies just getting nominations just because oh, this actor gave a strong performance. Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba do a good enough job in this movie that. It, it elevates the movie. And I feel like the movie is better for them being in it. And even though I don't see this as something that should get a Best Picture nomination, I do feel their performances are strong that it, it gets it closer to a Best Picture nomination. This isn't like The Blind Side, when The Blind Side got nominated for Best Picture and the only other award it was nominated for was Best Actress. Uh, and you're kind of questioning, it's like, well, if the only thing good about it is the performance, then how could you reward the movie itself? Uh, there are other good things about this movie as well. Uh, but the performances definitely elevate the movie. Uh, so definitely a strong rent it for uh, Molly's Game. Uh, and while we're on the topic, definitely a bin it for Miss Sloan last year. <laughs> a year later, I'll give it a bin it to Miss Sloan. But Molly's Game, it's still worth checking out him. We're kind of in the middle of this uh, Oscar bait season, as I said. So I know there's going to be more of these to come. Uh, Shape of Water, that's Guillermo del Toro's movie that's out right now probably checking that out uh you know jamie's definitely want to see ladybird but a lot of these movies if we don't get to them in the next month i mean once the oscar nominations come out i mean the golden globes are what uh in a week so oscar nominations not long after that we're gonna have lots of these movies that we'll kind of bring you these reviews of uh leading up to that so oscar month will probably be coming i'm not going to say anything concrete yet but probably be coming and then uh, obviously our olympic month where we're going to be going through Uh, winter olympic movies as we lead into the winter olympics on the topic as i was starting this movie i'm thinking to myself hey we got another movie for our winter olympic month you know if we can't see i tanya in time and then of course five minutes into the movie you know 
Jessica Chastain says, this movie is not about Olympics. Just thought you'd like to hear that story or whatever. Uh, but still, fun movie. We've got lots of other stuff going on right now. You can listen to our Best Of compilation, which I believe is out now. Uh, our 2017 Best Of compilation with lots of stuff on there from lots of our hosts. And then just the regular things, although Amazing Race will be starting up on Wednesday. There may be another one uh, that Ben will be starting. I might be involved in that one. A couple other hosts might be involved. We won't announce the show because I want to announce it and then we don't have time to record it. Uh, And then all the regular things, Star Trek Discovery will come back after that. Um, As far as movie reviews go, I mean, I'm trying to think if we have anything else that we'll definitely be getting to. Uh, I, Tanya is obviously one that Ben and I are going to have to see just because of the whole sports and off the podium uh, connection that we have. But uh, Liam Neeson has a movie coming out. I'll definitely talk about that, and I'll drag Jamie to it as well. Uh, but that is it for uh, our first movie review of 2018, Molly's Game. Uh, my name is Colin, and I put off law school for one more year uh, to be continued in 2019. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.